Welcome to Taking Note, Conversations with Evernote. This is Season 2, Episode 6, and I'm your host, Forrest Bryant. One of the benefits of our device-centric, always-connected world is that people can do their work from literally anywhere. Freed from the constraints of the office, more and more folks are getting things done from temporary spaces, or out in the field, or even at home. But, like everything else in modern business, there are real challenges that come along with that freedom. How do we set a remote team up for success? What expectations should we set? How can remote teams keep projects under control? What qualities do we need when we look for someone new? And how can you maintain a company vision and culture when new faces constantly come and go and teammates rarely see each other in person? Now, these are relatively new questions for a lot of startups and entrepreneurs, but the world of sales has been dealing with them for many years. So we invited two global sales leaders to tell us how they handle the challenge of a mobile workforce. Dave Matson is CEO and president of Sandler Training, a firm that develops international sales talent from over 250 offices in 27 countries. Norm Happ is senior vice president of sales, customer success, and partnerships here at Evernote. Norm runs a diverse global team with multiple responsibilities, and he does it using the same product he sells. Dave and Norm sat down with me to share the lessons they've learned and how the rest of us can reap the benefits of mobility without suffering the friction. So Dave Matson and Norm Happ, thank you for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. It's great to be here. So Dave, let's start with you. I'd like to let the listeners meet you. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and the company that you lead, Sandler Training? Well, I'm the CEO of Sandler. Um, I have been with this company for 30 years. I actually sat in a Sandler program way back when as I had gone into sales and I did, I thought I did well, but I did well through just working 18 hours a day. I thought if you put more hours in, you'd be more successful. And that worked for me, but you can't get to the next level. And I went to work for a company that was a Sandler client. And I was in the back of the room as one of those sentis, you know, the people that are there that didn't want to be there, arms folded. That was me. And I learned very quickly that it was a very conversational sales model and I didn't have to become somebody that I wasn't. And I then took that and started practicing and rehearsing and became number one in my company. And because of my personality type, um, I am an introvert for So for me, I didn't come from a sales background. My parents weren't in sales. You know, my parents were teachers. Uh, they sent me to school hoping that I was going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, an engineer. I mean, a teacher would be great. But when I came home and said I'm in sales, oh, my gosh, they, you know, they fell off their chair thinking that I was unemployed. <laughs> I thought salespeople were born, to be honest with you. And when I learned what salespeople were actually made, it was my first aha moment at Sandler. So I really dug myself into the Sandler stuff. And then I came down to see Dave Sandler, who was the founder of the company, because in the meantime, after I became the number one salesperson in that company, I went to work for Sandler in the local office because I said to myself, well, I think I know it now, but boy, I really could be a black belt if I were to work for the company that sold sales training, right? And so I worked for them and I saw Dave Sandler in our conferences four times a year. And at one point in time, he raised his hand. He said, look, I'm looking for somebody to train all of our trainers. And if you know anyone that would like that, you know, let me know. I looked over and my left hand was already in the air. I said, if I'm going to work for the guy, here we go. And so I, I ended up working for him. And 
you know, he'll say promoted, but I think I was successfully fired from most jobs within the company. <laughs> and I slowly bought, you know, 25% of the company in 94 and then another 25% in 2007. And I just bought it all out in 2012. And it's been a great journey. Awesome. So Norm, now you and I sit about 30 feet apart from each other, but this is your first visit to the podcast. So if you could introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your role at Evernote. Sure. Well, it's wonderful to be here, Forrest. I have all of the uh, the customer-facing functions, beginning with partnerships. That's really slated towards working with those companies that are a bridge between the Evernote product and our customers and trying to find those great companies that want to help better serve our customers. From there, I have the global sales organization. We have teams of sales personnel that are sitting in Silicon Valley and in Austin, Texas, and Zurich, Switzerland, and in Tokyo. And they're really focused on matching customer needs with our product set, really focused on helping those customers improve their productivity. And then once we've sold the product to customers, we have a team of customer success representatives who actually make sure that the customers are set up most effectively and they really achieve the maximum benefit and the impact on their business that they were seeking. And ultimately, when things go wrong with the product, I'm responsible for the customer support teams, and they're really the backstop, and they help get our customers back to work as quickly as possible. A lot of stuff. So what drew you to Evernote in the first place? Well, I'm a software developer and entrepreneur, and I would put myself in the pretty geeky category of somebody that really likes to figure out hacks and ways to become more productive. And I got my first taste of the SMB space during my eight years that I ran sales and go-to-market functions within Intuit and really enjoyed serving the companies out in the marketplace that are not looking to become a billion-dollar organization, but they're people who are trying to send their first child to college or get a mortgage. Really mainstream-type families, and I really fell in love with the SMB space. And as an incredibly heavy Evernote user over the past six years before I joined Evernote, I realized that I really could create an opportunity within the company to better serve those SMBs. So it was really a, a very nice match for me of my geekiness, my productivity, and also my love for the SMBs around the world. Terrific. Now, the reason we asked both of you to join us on the podcast this time is that you're both in the world of sales. And right now, there is this huge move towards a mobile workforce, uh, the need to stay productive without being tied to a desk. So who better to talk to than people who are in this sales world where teams are always out in the field? You guys have been uh, dealing with these issues for many years, although a lot of other folks, this is new territory. So what does this movement towards a mobile workforce look like from where you two sit? Uh, How about if we start with you, Dave? Well, you know, in, in the past, it was probably positioned as a perk, right? But in today's world, most sales organizations, unless you're an inside sales group, would say if you're at your desk, you're not selling and you really need to be in front of a customer and you really want to make sure that you're connecting because at the end of the day, sales is a face-to-face, a human business. And I'm not talking about transactional, but in the consultative type sales, you really should be close to that customer. When we didn't have remote salespeople, the challenge of organizations was to find the best person locally, but now you can find the best person globally. And that's a huge difference. I know here at Sandler, we have about 70% of our revenue generators are all remote. 
And so for us, we've done it on purpose. So we have regional representation. We can touch the customer as quickly as we need to. And it's just really helped us scale over the years. Yeah, I agree with Dave's perspective on that. And I would break down mobile workforces into probably two distinct areas. First is just distributed teams. We had teams that were in Tucson, Arizona, or Fredericksburg, Virginia, or all different places that you have a different type of work style and different tools because everybody isn't sitting in a single location. I think that the significant advance that's taken place probably in the last five to seven years is really the mobile workforce. And they're working from maybe an office, maybe a coffee shop or an airplane or a commuter train, or often on the sideline of a soccer field. And that's really the nature of today's workforce. And so really arming those teams with the right infrastructure, the right boundaries, and really the right level of support is critical to success because just like Dave said, the workforce needs to be close to the customer, has to look like the customer, and it's not all going to be located and finding the best talent within a single physical location. So, Norm, if an organization is new, it's growing, they've never had to deal with these issues before, what advice would you give to someone leading an organization like that? You know, I think it all begins with hiring great people. And, you know, I would characterize that as people who have very high integrity, have great motivation, and then arming them with things like clarity on the mission, understanding how they're going to be measured, and the right operating cadence to check in on those measurements. And then on top of that, you have to really arm them with a tool set that's going to enable them to get their job done, irregardless of their their physical location. And and beneath all of this, and it may sound uh, sort of quirky or obvious, but it's got to be fun. They have to remain connected to the mothership. They have to really feel like they're part of a broader team that I've seen in a couple of different companies that can be a downside or unintended consequence of having people work remotely, where oftentimes they can run into a sense of isolation. Norman, right on. For us, when we're building a, a mobile sales force or we're helping clients do that, the best thing to do is to look at the job profile, meaning regardless of where they're located, what's that sales process look like if we're talking about salespeople, but it applies to anyone? You know, for example, if you're calling on the C-suite, you've got a six-month sales cycle, you're selling a $50 million piece of equipment. That's different than if you're calling on a VP of X for a $15,000 two-month sale. And so you've really got to match that candidate, that employee, to what your world looks like. It sounds easy, and it is, but most people don't think about it. We've got a financial client who hired recently somebody who had 800% of quota. I mean, like a dream come true, right? They hire them, and they left within six months. I mean, completely bombed out. Why is that? Well, they came from a real farming-type background, if we were to call it that. They had the client base that's installed. They just had to kind of schmooze, which is great. But the new company wanted them to really go find net new business in an account, in the territory. And that was completely foreign to that individual. And there wasn't a match. And then to compound that, they were remote. So that isolation that Norm talked about and the fact that they didn't really understand what the disconnect was until too late kind of led to that. But once you have that job profile, then I think you really need to look at what I'll call a candidate profile, or we use this acronym called SEARCH, which is real simple. S is for skills, E is for experience, A is for attitude, R is for results, 
cognitive skills and habits. And if you think about it, what skills are necessary to make sure that that job succeeds and what experience do you want? So in that former example, you would want somebody that had sold to the same type of buyer and really had done net new business. But 100% agree with what Norm was talking about as far as connecting them and making sure that they have the right tools and technology. So for us at Sandler, I can just say, I'll shoot a video every Friday. And here's the week's recap of what's going on and what we're doing. People internally here at home office may know that, but 60% of the workforce has no idea. And so we're giving shout outs to people who have done great things. We're telling people what's going on. And to me, it may not have been that important, but the feedback that you get from the external team is just amazing. Thanks, Dave. So we've talked about a couple of different factors here. We've talked about people, we've talked about tools, and I want to dig a little more deeply into some of the challenges that both of those pose for mobile workforces. Uh, First, let's talk about the people. Uh, Could you give me that search acronym again? Sure. S is for skills. E is for what experiences should they have in order to succeed at your job. A is attitude. What's their mindset? And R is results. What results have they had at their current job past jobs in order to dictate that they would succeed at your job. C is cognitive skills. So what processes do they have in place? And H is habits. And if you would just kind of look at that, see most people, of course, they kind of jump into that interviewing process or looking for candidates because it seems like this person in front of me or on the phone is a natural fit. But if you don't follow that model or a model, whatever it happens to be, we tend to make some bad hires and that is costly whether financially and from a brand ambassador standpoint. So that's the model we follow. And with a team that is literally liable to be working from anywhere on the globe in any sort of an environment, what are the specific characteristics that you would look for to fit into that model? So some of the characteristics that we're searching for are things like self-starter. You know, has that person have the experience and do they have the results of starting something from wherever it is. Do they hit their deadlines? Do they get their projects done in time? So time management is also a characteristic that we're looking for because you and I both know, regardless of where you are in the world, projects tend to expand on the time that you give them. And there's really no one out there saying, hey, what's going on? Now we have the technology to do that, it's true, but I'm looking for somebody that's got a handle on time management, almost project focused really. They can take a project or a workflow from where it is today to where it needs to be. And they've got that thought process to get that done. Uh, Certainly phone skills, remote skills is huge. Uh, You'd be surprised at how many people really can't communicate uh, over the phone. And I think accountability is huge for us. You need somebody that's remote to be accountable and have that accountability mindset. And And when I do executive coaching, that's probably one of the key things that they always bring up is, I wish we had a culture of accountability. Well, if you have people that are under your roof, that's an issue. You really want to make sure that that's not an issue with remote workers. And, you know, as I said, the verbal skills. So I think those are the ones that pop out immediately. Norm, I don't know what you've seen. 
I think it has to do with things like integrity and motivation, as you touched upon, but just really making sure that we're really crystal clear on what are the outcomes that we're expecting them to achieve and making sure that they stay super connected to the mission of the company and the overall company outcomes. And you also touched upon the importance of recognition and making sure that there's very deliberate actions taken so that they feel like they're super connected to the broader team. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that just popped into my mind as Norm was talking is setting expectations. That is really huge. It's not necessarily a characteristic that we're looking for, but I think it should be a corporate characteristic. You've got to set real clear expectations of what their job is, what the outcome looks like, what success looks like, what failure looks like, because the better you can paint that picture, the better off that remote worker will be, and thus the organization. I think that's something that really slips through the cracks with most organizations that are managing remote workforce. They'll have that conversation up front, thinking that it's on the top of everybody's mind, but it's not. You have to continually reinforce and make sure that those expectations are super clear and they validate that they understood them. I think that's one of the key things that companies just failed to do over the period of time. That really gets into something I wanted to ask you both about with the rise of freelance and short-term employees in addition to mobile workers. How do you maintain a vision, a mission, or a culture in your company when the faces are always changing and often they're not in the same room with you? You know, my experience in this space is you have to treat them all like employees and you really make sure that you invest the time to ensure that they understand the company's mission, the company values, and really what we're strategically trying to accomplish. If you treat them like a a second-class citizen or somebody who's not part of the core workforce, I think really the results begin to reflect that disconnect from them actually having a different way of working than a normal employee. But it does put a lot of stress on the onboarding and ensuring that you have a methodology and you have documentation and other information that you can very quickly get that person up to speed and ensure that they can begin contributing very quickly. Yeah, I've seen so many companies say, because that's a short-term worker, contract worker, we're not going to give them access to all the things that they would need. Now, if you think about that, it's counterintuitive. I mean, if they don't have the tools necessary to succeed as if they were a full-time employee of yours, then you've almost started behind the eight ball. So I, I think exactly what Norm said. You've got to treat them as an employee. And you really have to make sure when you're onboarding them, everything is the same. I flat out agree with Norm that once you start treating them separately, you're going to see different results and you're going to blame that particular person or that structure when in reality, it's really a process problem. Yeah. And and along those lines, even, you know, you talked about access. I think their tool set has to be you know, identical to an employee's tool set. And I know, Forrest, you wanted to talk a little bit more about tools here in a minute, but um, I think oftentimes you will see that bifurcation of, well, they're a contractor, I don't want to give them access to X, Y, and Z. And ultimately, you're handicapping their ability to achieve the same results as an employee. Yeah, I think we are leading nicely into the question of tools, which was one of the two big areas we identified early on. Just before we get there, is there any particular advice that you give to people when they're joining your team? We've sort of looked at this from the perspective of the manager. Is there a consideration that a new employee who's joining a remote team needs to uh, keep in mind? 
You know, I think about every person in an organization is really an innovator and an inventor. And as much as there's process and rules and other things that are put in place that are intended to achieve the, the best outcomes, I really challenge them and set the expectations that as you bring experience from prior organizations or you identify things that would help the organization improve, please apply those and then expand those and share those as best practices. And, you know, we try to create an environment where failing and lean testing and doing other things that may in fact not achieve the right outcomes, that that's okay. Because ultimately, if we set that expectation that we want them to be an inventor and we want them to try to accomplish things in new ways, then I think ultimately it's going to help the broader organization advance. Yeah, I agree. Again, I think it's expectations. I I do think that we tell them, you have the greatest ability to help us. And what I mean by that is we're in it already. We don't know what we don't know any longer because we're part of it. So we would love you to tell us what you think is something that we do great and things that we really should work on because you've got experience from other companies and you're new. And when we give permission to do that, and I actually take everybody to lunch and I go through that exercise, you'd be amazed on how much information that I can gather as a CEO, but how much they feel engaged. And because when they see our changes being made based on their suggestion, and then we give them a shout out, hey, we did this because we heard X, Y, and Z, that's fantastic. I think that onboarding process really sets the stage for, I feel part of the company. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel like I have the tools to succeed. I think most companies spend the majority of their time in the interviewing process and then say, well, thank goodness we found the right person. They have the experience, go get them. And they drop the ball on onboarding. And onboarding is really a simple four-step process. But the minute you can tell them all the things that they need to do to succeed in the first, let's say, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days, and then you as a manager can test that out to give them candid feedback on that was spot on or, hey, just make this a little adjustment. But as an employee, I'm motivated. Why? Because now it's in my ballpark. I can control what I have to learn and when I'm going to learn it. I know exactly what you as the company have determined is this is what I need to do to succeed. So I'm going to follow that playbook as an example. And then I'm comfortable because I know I'm learning the right types of things. I know where I stand. And if you're a remote worker, you know, when do you get that honest feedback? When does that actually come? Well, it it may come too late. You know, as a new employee, I want to succeed. The company wants me to succeed. I just think we fall short a little bit when we don't give that foundation in the beginning for us to succeed as a team. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is any organization is only as good as the people you have. And it's also only as good as the training you give those people and how effectively you bring them on board and what sort of foundation you set for them. But also, of course, especially when we're dealing with a team that's distributed or virtual or mobile or using freelance resources, it's only as good as the tools that you give them. So let's talk a bit about tools. There's an ever-growing number of tools available for businesses of all sizes. How do you determine what the right tool set is for your business? 
I think that there's the first tier of tools, which are the most obvious, and that is the hardware solutions, whether it's mobile phone, tablet, laptop, that every individual needs to have in order to be in the modern workforce. Also, the idea that desktop applications are no longer the right choice as you sort of context switch or you move from device to device. I would say that the next piece of that is you need a method for them to create ongoing interpersonal relationships with their leaders, their peers. And I'm a huge fan of all meetings taking place over video, a really, really easy to use robust video conferencing solution is critical. And then from there, this might be a a bit self-serving, but we really find that Evernote business and the way that we use it is an incredible way for teams that are geographically distributed to all stay on the same page and eliminate that world of just flipping in and out of your inbox and searching through email from weeks and months ago, trying to find those important documents. So my teams all run basically everything that we do through Evernote business. And there is one other thing that's, I would say, part of the setup, but not necessarily a tool. And that's the work environment that you expect them to use in their home office or wherever they choose to work from. If they are in a customer-facing role, there are certain elements of the home office that are critical. At one point, I was at Intuit, and I took over about a 200-person remote organization. And we would see in our net promoter scores things about barking dogs and crying children. And we thought, oh, my gosh, (laughs) we we really need to ensure that we set them up with not just the electronic tools, but the things that will help them isolate their home office and be in a situation that it's a very professional work environment for them. Normal, 100%. (laughs) We and our mobile workers, we have a Sandler backdrop because I also agree they should have a a video communication versus just the the audio, which you don't get that same interaction. Listen, 55% of people's rapport skills are lost if you're not going to see the other side. So you want to make sure that you connect with them. So we really have made sure that a remote office looks like they're in one of our conference rooms and Initially, it looks like we were going overboard, but it's really proved out to be the right move, to be honest. And I do agree, certainly need the hardware, right? But for us, we also make sure that they have the templates out there. Uh, You'd be shocked on how many times a sales force is reinventing the wheel and they don't even share things. A simple things like uh, PowerPoint, as an example. I can't tell you out of 100 companies, I would bet 86% of them uh, don't share PowerPoint. So you've got you know, person A using their pitch book, you got person B doing theirs, and it's just all over the place. So you need a place to share and to collaborate. And, you know, we did it without Evernote at first, and then we became a client of Evernote some time ago, and it's really kind of changed the world. It's true. So I think you do need that collaboration, and you do need a way for everyone to share what's happening. And so for us, the templates, we stream an awful lot as well. We make sure that we do the same thing with our customer base. If we can do a video conference of any kind, we do it. There's just a lot of things that help us become more effective. And I think you have to decide what it is because you've got people, you know, we know who they are in my company and I think everybody knows who they are in their company. We're going to chase the next shiny object in technology. Oh, wouldn't this be awesome? Oh, wouldn't this be cool? And it probably is, but I don't think we're going to be like a sailboat here and just you know, throw out one technology for another or tacking left and tacking right. I've seen that too many times. You know, we're going to figure out what works for us and make sure that we're teaching our people how to use it. 
if we make adjustments, great. If we have to switch, then there's got to be a good reason why versus, you know, I have a better title on my business card and this is what I was accustomed to where I came from. So therefore, we're all switching to what made me comfortable. I just, I don't agree with that philosophy. So I, I think you just have to pay attention. Yeah, and one of the tools that actually we use is really establishing what we reference as a team communication charter. And it really helps us understand when to use which tool. And, you know, oftentimes you'll hear the phrase like, well, I emailed you that, you know, a few weeks ago, or I emailed that over to you, or I sent you a Slack, or I sent you a a text message. And as a team, what we found is that if you really get very clear on when do you use the phone, when do you use video conference, when do you text, when do you Slack, when do you email, and what's the service level agreement for those? If you send me an email on a Friday at 7 p.m., do you need a response at 8 p.m.? And we really, as a team, got together and established those norms so that we are in a spot that if you really, really need something from me, you call. You know, you don't send me an email and you don't send me a Slack message. One of our, our brilliant GMs out in EMEA, he would say, you know, would you send an email to the fire department if your house is on fire? And, you know, it's a very similar paradigm is that you have to adjust your communication style to the, the content of the message and make sure that your entire team is operating under that same charter. But Norm, Norm, how many companies do you think do that? Because I don't think enough. I don't, I don't know if we've done it to the extent that you've done it. But we certainly had to do that when it was answering emails, because if you CC'd everybody, no one answered, right? So we had to set some rules down. But I have found there's not too many people taking that proactive approach that you just spoke of. Have you found the same thing in your interaction? Yeah. This person that developed this paradigm, this is the first time I had heard of this in my career. And I now preach this relentlessly. And, you know, we're a big fan of stealing best practices and proliferating them shamelessly. And this is one that I share over and over again, because it's fundamentally changed the way that my organization works. And the other one that we continue to push on is, I will not meet with somebody if it's just over the phone. Mm. And, And I will only do video conference because you realize that if it's not in person or over video, I really don't know if you're engaged in the conversation. I don't know the circumstances. And I know that if we were shoulder to shoulder, we would get the best work done. But if we can't be shoulder to shoulder, I want to make sure that we get that same experience. And so I know that we're both heavily engaged. If we need to whiteboard, it's very easy to get up in front of the whiteboard on video. But if we're just on over the phone, you know that there's many other things that people can be distracted by that you may not be tuned into. I'm going to take that, Norm. I mean, (laughs) I found my calls are certainly more productive on video, but I haven't dictated that that's the way I'm going to do it. But uh, now that I think about it, I'm not sure why I wouldn't have done that, but that's a good aha moment for me. Yeah, I think both of you have really gotten to the heart of an issue that I think is a big concern when we're talking about tools with the proliferation of tools available. Anytime you bring a new tool into your organization, that's going to change the way your organization works to some extent, right? And oftentimes, what I see happening is rather than adapting that tool to fit the way you work or the needs of your organization, the organization starts adapting to fit the needs of the tool or the demands of the tool. And next thing you know, you're basically servants of the tool and you're bogged down in processes. Or anytime you change tools, then you have to start from scratch. And there's this huge, difficult period of churn where nobody quite knows how things work anymore. So how do you avoid those issues of getting bogged down by process, getting bogged down by churn anytime you adopt a new tool? Well, for us, if we're going to introduce a new tool, we don't do it out of the blue. 
somebody typically comes to us and says, I've been using this off to the side or I've heard of X and here's what it's done for me. And then we really look at, is that really what has caused the increase or whatever the topic is, or is it something else? And then because we've got so many offices, we'll let a small group start to play with the tool because that does a couple things. It flushes out whether it's an accident or whether it's a pattern, but it also, in my, in my world, creates groundswell because when you have a group of people who are successfully using something that you're not using, then I want to use it. But if I told them they have to use it, oh my gosh, here comes something from home office again. You know, they have no idea what we do out here. <laughs> and so I'm met with passive aggression. And you experience that in the CRM world day in and day out. So for me, I think if you just roll it out in such a way that people are waiting, like, I, hey, when's my turn? When are we doing it? That's there. But I also think most organizations that roll out tools do not do a good job in following up. They roll it out. You know, they say that was a good rollout. Let's move on. And that's the beginning of trouble. I really do think you need an implementation plan that helps people understand what that tool is over long periods of time. I mean, Norm, you introduce tools all day long. What are you finding? Yeah, it's very similar. I think we encourage people to test out new things. But then it's a much bigger undertaking if you decide that you're going to adopt that in a more widespread manner. Because oftentimes, tools come and go. Yeah. And you end up with these data silos of some great tool that a person in your organization decided they wanted to use with maybe them and a few other people. And before you know it, you have really important company IP or customer information or other other key information that is now off on somebody else's platform. And so I would say that we're very methodical about tool adoption, and we really keep the number of core business tools that we leverage to a very small number. And I can say that it's a great video conferencing solution. It's Evernote business. And then beyond that, I would say that there's very few other things that I use on my desktop on a regular basis. Okay, Norm. So let's dive in there. You are the leader of a global team here at Evernote. I think a lot of folks listening to the Evernote podcast would like to know, how do you personally and your team use Evernote business to get your work done? So it begins with this concept that we've developed over the last year called Spaces, and it's part of Evernote business. And I think that the team here at Evernote did a brilliant job of really studying a lot of different companies and how they should work and how they do work and tried to mend those two together. The way that we use spaces is each of our key initiatives or things that we do on a regular basis are encapsulated in what we call a space. And within that is every single thing you would need to know about that body of work. And every single person who would need access to that body of work is able to operate within that. And so I'll give you an example. For the sales organization, we just have a space called sales. And within there, it has all of our sales forecasts, our playbooks, our onboarding plans for new reps, any sort of reporting that we need. And so when a new person joins our organization, we're not saying, well, go to this network drive and you know, I'll email you these other documents. Or when our CEO says, hey, I'd like to see the latest report, it is all right there, all in one place. And there's no excuse about, well, like, I don't have access to this drive or it's not on my laptop. 
it is across every single device that our teams carry. For our leadership team, all of our forecasts, our strategy documents, our reports, our hiring plans all sit within this one space. And you know whether it's a drawing that we put on a whiteboard that we capture and store within the space to Excel files that might be used for some advanced modeling, there's all this different information. It all sits within the one place. And in past jobs, I always found that you know there was this big hunt through your inbox or through you know one of the many different backup systems that companies are using today that would be required in order to provide some documentation to somebody. And now I think we've fast forwarded past all of that. And frankly, I can't imagine how companies today operate without having this single encapsulated location for everything related to that particular initiative or topic. Especially if you have remote teams in different geographies dealing with the same issue, right? Dealing with the same customer, as an example. As Norm said, how many times have you heard hey, I sent that to you. I don't know where that is. And the other thing that we had found, which we didn't expect, is that we were talking about decisions that we had made already in two meetings ago. But because it wasn't easily accessible or it wasn't located anywhere, we wasted a lot of time. And we were inefficient to a certain extent. But now, because we had that, everyone knows where we are. Everyone knows where that documentation is. And it's much easier for us to progress at a much faster pace and more effective, to be honest Yeah, with you. And, and I'm sure everybody out there has walked into a meeting before where, you know, the questions arise like, oh, so what's what's on the agenda? And yeah. where's was I supposed to read something in advance? And is there a deck? And where's the, the notes from the last meeting? And using Evernote Business with Spaces, now every single meeting that I walk into, I have everything in one location, whether it's the agenda, whether it's the action items from the last meeting, or it's the content that we're going to cover in that meeting, whether it's a PowerPoint deck or a Google Docs or a Google presentation, it all sits in one space. And so it really helps us use our meeting time most effectively because we're not in that shuffle that takes place across thousands of companies every single day where the meeting starts with, Where's the stuff that we're going to talk about and why are we here? So not just building it, not just selling it, but using it as well. And that makes a big difference. So you've both, I think, revealed a lot of secrets uh, to managing and running a virtual team, a mobile team, a distributed team. Are there any others that uh, you didn't get in yet? How about you, Dave? What are your secrets to staying on top of the day-to-day? I think you have to have a process. And not that it's on topic, but... You know, I create what's called a cookbook, a recipe. And what I mean by that is, as a CEO, there are certain things that I'm going to do on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a quarterly basis. And I created what was called a cookbook, which is nothing more than a behavioral plan. What do you have to do every single day in order to succeed? So I'll give you an example. I talk to five clients a day, or let me say I call five clients a day. And that's one of my cookbook items because I want to touch base with them. I may not talk to all of them, but I do that religiously. And I do certain other things religiously. It's just part of my everyday to-do list. And I have those types of cookbooks or recipes for all different types of things. But what it does for me is that I get to do little things along the way so I don't have a massive project. I don't forget to do certain things. It's, it's there for us. And what I find is that it, it helps me get things done way 
earlier than normal. So I think if you can become a behavioralist and create that cookbook, you know, what is it that you follow every single day and not kind of make it up as you go or say to yourself, oh man, I forgot to do that. That's to me something that we hadn't talked about, but but to me, it's a secret. Yeah, I think those are all great ideas and things that I'll, I'll probably grab and adopt. The two things that I think might be illustrative to this conversation first is just still the remaining importance of the in-person contact and whether it's bringing remote employees in on a specific interval so they get to meet and engage with their peers and leaders. I think that's important. I try to get out to all of our remote offices on a regular basis. And so we have that interpersonal relationship. And as times get tough uh, or you're working on something that's super challenging, they know who the person is on the other side of that video conference a little bit more. The other thing is just the importance of the work product, not the end product, but the work product. And I have a philosophy of transparency. And so as I'm working on different things, I don't want to have this great unveil at the end that, you know, you sort of have this thing with my team that if I'm working on a strategy document or if I'm working on something related to the future of our organization, I actually put it in a spot where everybody can see the work as it's happening. And that then helps them buy into it. And they're engaging with that work product before it becomes the final version. And I think that that really not only engages my team, but also it helps create a better outcome. And so my notes, for example, for this podcast, my team in Zurich already has popped in on it and written some other notes and help contribute content to this that I otherwise wouldn't have thought of. And so I think that transparency and that real-time collaboration is really helping us end up with better solutions than people working in isolation. Fantastic. So if people are interested in learning more about Evernote Business, they can go to evernote.com slash business. Dave, if people are uh, interested in learning more about you or Sandler Training, I know they can go to sandler.com. Do you have any other resources that listeners might want to check out? If they go to sandler.com, they can look for a local center and just say that, you know, they heard Dave and Norm on a podcast and go to one of our programs as my guest. Pick a topic that's important to you and sit in as my guest. All right, Dave Matson and Norm Happ, it has been a pleasure speaking with both of you. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us on the Taking Note podcast. Thank you, Forrest. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Forrest. Dave Matson is CEO and president of Sandler Training. Norm Happ is senior vice president of sales, customer success, and partnerships at Evernote. You've been listening to Taking Note, produced by Evernote, the place to organize your work, declutter your life, and remember everything. Get started for free at Evernote.com. Download the Evernote app on your iOS or Android device, or look for us in the Windows Store or the Apple App Store. For more tips and stories from the Evernote team, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Medium. I'm your host, Forrest Bryant. Our audio engineer was Jay Shalladay. Producer, Stacy Bailey. Thanks to Dave Matson and Norm Happ for joining me in this episode. Special thanks to Jason Sofian, Craig Klemp, and Stephanie Long for making this episode possible. And thank you for listening. Until next time, keep taking note.